Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC San Antonio, Leon Edwards versus Rafael Dos Anjos, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in the great state of Texas. A welterweight main event, and the winner's looking to get one step closer to that title shot. This is going to be a great fight. You got Rafael Dos Anjos, the former UFC lightweight champion, the first Brazilian UFC lightweight champion, and now he's going in there against Leon Edwards, who's coming off a win and a loss on the same night. You know, he beat Gunnar Nelson, and then, you know, my boy uh, Jorge had to get him backstage. So yeah, he's looking to redeem himself. He's looking to get his name back in there and uh, get one step closer to a title shot. So let's see what happens. Absolutely. Obviously, Leon Edwards is a guy who has definitely been flying under the radar, currently on a seven-fight win streak, Shaq. And with Rafael Dos Anjos, a lot of people are writing him off or saying that he's completely done. Then he goes out there against Kevin Lee, submits him in the fourth round. And now these two have the showcase main event in Texas Saturday night and also on the card you got the return of the very explosive Greg Hardy the heavyweight prospect he's taking on Juan Adams you got James Vick versus Dan Hooker the return of Alexander Hernandez after that brutal beating to the hands of Cowboy Cerrone he's taking on the always tough Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo it's a pretty damn stacked card uh, down south this weekend yeah don't forget about my boy uh, Alexi and, and Andre as well so we got two legends Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's going to be a, a fun one to watch. And let's get right down to business because first up in the Bantamweight division, we got Domingo Pilarte. He's 8-1. and one, And Felipe Colares is also 8-1. and one. Currently, they got Domingo Pilarte minus 335. The comeback on Felipe Colares is plus 275. Well, Shaq, you saw Domingo Pilarte go out there on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. Finish Vince Morales, who, in my opinion, should have won the decision against Benito Lopez last weekend. Now he's making his UFC debut against Felipe Colares. Felipe already got that debut out the way. Who you got in this bantamweight matchup? Yeah, Domingo's one of these scrappers, man. He's one of these uh, these uh, kids from Texas that he, he comes to fight. You know, the, the Vince Morales fight, like you mentioned. That first round definitely wasn't going his way. I mean, he got hit hard twice, got dropped one time. And the fact that he showed the composure to come back in the second round was very impressive for a young guy with only six or seven fights. So this fight with Kolaris, you know, Kolaris is a... Kolaris is a very tough guy. You know, he only has one professional loss, which came in his debut, uh, up a weight class. So we're going to see him, you know, I'm sure a lot better in the second fight. He's a very tough guy, but he is also one of these typical Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts that he might take you down early in those first rounds. But if you can keep your composure, come back in that second, he might gas out and he doesn't move his head. And then he starts pulling Brazilian stunts. So Domingo could definitely come back in the late rounds with the volume. And he, he's a kid that fights with a lot of spirit. So I think that's how this fight's going to uh, play play out you know i think it's gonna be a little hairy early kalara swings heavy uh heavy early and he's got the jiu-jitsu black belt so i think the first round might be a little tough but i think pilarte is gonna rally in the second or third and finish him in the late round i could definitely see that felipe Colares, he stands very tall chin straight up in the air a bit of a karate stance he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu like you mentioned trains out of team noguera or as they like to say chim noguera he can definitely be outworked and out tough though good takedown ability while he's fresh and good get up game while he's fresh as well it's just once he's tired he can be held down and he will give up dominant positions pretty decent submission defense but it's gonna be interesting to see how he deals with the length of pilarte because as you know those long men can get chokes from weird angles that you're not used to Colaris has very questionable cardio in his debut especially Especially. Curious to see if that's a one-time thing or if that simply means that Felipe Colares can be outworked. And with Domingo Pilarte, six-foot-tall bantamweight, he's the tallest man in UFC bantamweight history. Massive 74-inch reach and a five-inch reach advantage in this fight. He definitely has a bit of that tall man defense as well, but he also fights very long, and his wide southpaw stance makes it extremely hard for his opponents to close the distance on him. Pilarte is not afraid to talk shit in there too. He's got a uh, 
He's got a little Diaz brother in, in there. Sometimes he'll get a bit carried away, but he has a decent chin. He needs to be careful when he's teeing off on his opponents, though, because Morales dropped him. Uh, he gets a little careless. You know, he, he can pull uh, the old uh, Ricky Simone when he hurts his opponent. So he's got to be careful there. And I think someone is going to KO him down the line. I just don't think it's going to be Colares. I, I think Domingo Pilarte's limbs are going to give him a big enough advantage with his kicks, with his chokes especially. If if those long arms get around your neck, I, I don't care if you're a black belt, you're tapping or going to sleep. So I got Domingo Pilarte here, most likely inside the distance. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Mario Bautista. He's 6-1 and one, and Jin Su-san is 9-3. Currently, they got Jin Susan minus 210. The comeback on Mario Bautista is plus 175. Well, Shaq, both of these guys had a fight. Basically, two top five guys in their debut. I mean, Jin Susan goes out there, fight of the night performance against Peter Yan. Mario Bautista had to face uh, what many people consider to be a future world champion in Corey Sanhagen. Now these two are meeting. Second fight of the night. Which way you leaning? Yeah, I don't think you can get a... More of a tough, more of a ruder welcome to the UFC than what both these guys got. And uh, it's good. I'm, I'm sure both guys are hungry. Both guys got a lot to prove. It's unfortunate Jin Su-sun couldn't get that extra 50K because he missed weight in the in the Peter Yan fight. But the fact that these guys stepped up on short notice, I'm glad to see them get that second opportunity. So, you know, Batista, he's a very tough kid. I actually think he's getting... Uh, a little devalued in this spot, you know, I feel like the line could definitely be a lot closer, Jin Su-san is a very tough guy, but let's really look at what he did against Peter, and he hit him with uh, two blast double legs, which were very impressive, but it's not like he held top control for a while, and I understand it's Peter Yan, but, you know, Mario Bautista is a, a, a tough kid, and he's only got one loss, and that's the Corey Sanhagen, other than that, man, this guy's taking care of business in every fight, I'd say the hole in his game is probably his wrestling and his takedowns, but who, who, who's to know if Jin Su-san actually shoots those takedowns, man, he strikes me as a guy that likes to stand and bang, he's one of these Korean zombie guys, so I know he's not afraid to go out on the shield, and if he gives Bautista that fight, I think the, uh, it could be a 50-50 type fight, you know, I feel like Jin Su-san's definitely got some got some uh, size on uh, Bautista, but I feel like Bautista is one of these kids that, you know, as the fight progresses, he gets a, a little more comfortable in there. He starts throwing these knees up the middle. He starts catching these guys, and they get rocked. And, you know, who's to say Jin Susan, uh can come back from that, man? I know he's coming off a very devastating beating against Peter Yan, and, you know, uh, we'll see what he's got. I just think the line could be a little closer. I feel like both these guys are on the same level. I don't see Jin Susan being clear-cut ahead of, ahead of Bautista. And uh, I feel like Bautista's going to get the upset. You know, I feel like Son's going to probably, like I said, stand on the feet a little bit too much, not shoot those takedowns as expected. But uh, if he does, props to him. Bautista's definitely got to get better in that aspect. But I'm sure he is. He's training at the lab, a, a good gym. So we'll see what happens. But I'm going to go for uh, Bautista in an upset. You know, I feel like he's going to catch him in the late rounds. Yeah, I mean, needless to say... Mario Bautista had to face super prospect Corey Sanhagen in his UFC debut. This is a much better fight for him. The kid has good footwork, nice tight striking. Probably a bit underrated in this spot just because he had to face the output king his last uh, fight in his debut. Bautista can mix it up, throws hands up top, kicks as well. Decent takedown ability. I mean, look, he went out there and took down Sanhagen twice while he was rocked from a flying knee. And he took him down with a slam, so that was pretty damn impressive. I'm curious to see what he does with a step down in competition. He's a very tough guy. He survived the first Sanhagen submission attempt, which looked deep. This matchup for Son is way more evenly matched. Excuse me, this matchup with Son is way more evenly matched. It's going to give us a good measuring stick for where where Bautista's at. I believe Sanhagen would also finish Jin Su-san in the first round. So I don't really take much from that. And with Jin Su-san, 
Very tough young man. He loves to stand and bang, big and physical for the weight class. Has that patented Korean zombie pressure where he will just keep going forward the entire time. You have to knock this guy out to get him to stop fighting. He will smile at your hardest shot. I think that's why the fans love him so much because Peter Yan will hit him with shots that you know would drop Jimmy Rivera, would knock all these gu these other guys out, and Jin Su-san is smiling and waving him on. Similar to Bautista, Son had to face, in my opinion, a top five contender in his debut in Peter Yan, and it translated to a fight of the night. Unfortunately, Son couldn't collect that 50K bonus because his fat ass missed weight, but the kid definitely comes to fight, and now he gets his second chance. He's more stationary than Bautista, and it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see if he can cut off the cage and make Bautista stand in the pocket with him. Really good knees from the tie clinch for Jin Song, and an amazing chin. That's his best attribute is his chin. Also, the kid's got takedowns too. A good double leg. I can see a scenario where Bautista hits and moves to a decision, mixing in the kicks with the movement. Just a matter of how Bautista performs in a three-round fight. I will also take Bautista for the upset. Next up in the bantamweight division, we got Ray Borg. He's eleven and four, and Gabriel Silva is eight and zero. Currently, they got Ray Borg minus 225. The comeback on Gabriel Silva is plus 185. Well, Shaq, this is the second newcomer in a row that Ray Borg is welcoming to the UFC's octagon. Last time he missed weight up a weight class. Now he gets a chance to redeem himself. Do you think Ray Borg gets back on track against the UFC's newest bantamweight? Yeah, you know, Ray Borg definitely had a very tough, you know, gritty fight with Casey Kinney. It was a dog fight. Casey took the fight, you know, uh, on short notice coming off the LFA fight pretty much off the couch. I think he said he was eating a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch when he got the call. And, you know, uh, he cashed that plus 260 for us, and it was a, it was a dog fight. You know, it could have went either way. It was a tough fight. Um, I feel like Ray Borg is a flyweight. I feel like, honestly, he's just let himself go a little bit, man. I feel like he's always had those bad habits. When you look at this guy's history, he had a history of missing weight back in the day, man. And when you really look at the guys he's beaten, we're talking about Shane Howell, Chris Kalaitis, Gian Herrera, you know, uh, his best win is Juicier Formiga, in which that was his best performance. But that was Ray Borg on a path to a title shot. Somewhere along the lines, you know, the motivation just isn't there anymore. And, I mean, look at his body. It's completely different now. You know, he's missing weight up a weight class, like you said. That's not a good sign. You know, this kid, Gabriel Silva, he's coming in here. He was the... Uh, on this new season of looking for a fight, Dana went to go see him, and he got a first-round knockout at featherweight. He's 5'4", and the fact that the guy's undefeated against featherweights, man, is very impressive because you don't really see too many 5'4 guys. That lets me know that this guy got a lot of power. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know who's the last 5'4 guy that uh, was wrecking shop at featherweight? I think his name's Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, this guy's got some big bones in him, man. He's Eric Silva's little bro. He's been... Uh, you know, in that limelight, you know what I'm saying? So I don't think this moment's going to be too much for him. I think he's going to come out here and get an upset, man. I feel like Ray Borg's time has passed him. You know, I feel like all he's got is those takedowns, and I feel like Gabriel Silva's going to be a little too strong than he's used to. I think Casey Kinney, honestly, that was just one of his first, uh, few fights at Bantamweight. Most of his fights are at Flyweight. And, uh, you know, Borg got some takedowns, but he got reversed every single time. You know, uh, I feel like Gabriel Silva's going to be a little stronger. I feel like when they stand on the feet, he's really going to make Ray Borg exchange and stuff. These takedowns go to his body and throw a lot of power shots at his chin. I know Borg likes to shell a lot, but there will be nowhere to run uh, once Gabriel gets his range in there. And, and I think he's going to get this upset. Yeah, Gabriel Silva, obviously, he's been training for a very long time. And I don't know if you guys saw that LFA fight between uh, Ari Farias and Devante Sewell, that devastating rear naked choke submission. Well, this kid, Gabriel Silva, is Ari Faria's main sparring partner. So, And he's also a Team Noguera black belt. So I just have a feeling that Gabriel Silva might be coming in here with some very high-level jiu-jitsu. And like Shaq mentioned, this kid... 
was very short at featherweight going out there suplexing five foot ten six foot tall men and knocking them out with one punch well now he's fighting a former flyweight who i mean he's still a flyweight between you and me he's just too fat to not only make flyweight, he's too fat to make bantamweight too. You know, the guy, but he, he weighed in at featherweight his last fight because if you're above the bantamweight limit, that means you're a featherweight. So, look, uh, Ray Borg, you know, it's unfortunate about that stuff that's going on outside. We wish him the best in that respect, but put that on the back burner. I don't think the UFC like him very much. I mean, this guy's pulled out of seven fights, literally, and I think now they're at the point where they've had enough of his shit. They want to set him up with all the top prospect newcomers and get people big-name wins. So they did it with Casey Kenny successfully. I think they're trying to do it here with Gabriel Silva. I mean, Dana White sat front row at Gabriel Silva's last fight. They signed him. They picked it. They handpicked this fight for him. I think he goes out there, and I don't think he will be another victim to Ray Borg scrambling. I think that Gabriel Silva has the the answer i think his power is going to be too much on the feet black belt and jujitsu he's going to be able to defend himself if it hits the mat but from what i've seen his wrestling is on point too so i'm gonna go with gabriel silva here to upset ray borg next up in the flyweight division we got a rematch between roxanne modafferi she's 23 and 15 and jennifer maya is 16 and 5 currently they got jennifer maya minus 145 the comeback on roxanne modafferi is plus 125 well shaq these two have met before jennifer maya walked home with the split decision win but the one caveat we got to throw out is the first time was a five-round fight now it's a three-round fight do you think that's going to make a difference here you know yeah it was a very close fight the first time roxanne modafferi continues to prove that she's a, a serious fighter in this flyweight division she's definitely earned her uh, spot in those rankings and jennifer maya she she got that win over alexis davis who was number five at the time when they fought and she was unranked so you know that was a good win for her man uh that fight she was able to get she got a little better at wrestling you know her weakness has always been the takedowns and she was able to get back up after that uh, rough second round and it was 1-1 going into the third and she she was able to pull that last round out which was very impressive so jennifer maya is definitely in a spot where she's probably going to continue to get better in each of these fights as she's getting uh, a little more comfortable in the ufc you know that first fight against liz I mean, hey, Liz is fighting for the title, so uh, she lost to the number one contender. And Roxanne, man, that was a great upset when she had over uh, Valentina's fake sister down there in Russia. But, <laughs> you know, that was a, a great win. But, you know, we know what she brings to the table. She likes to move forward, likes to take punishment and look for her takedowns. And when she gets on top, man, she if you don't have the necessary ground game like Shevchenko, you know, uh, you might get worked, man. And Jennifer Maya is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. You know, her, her grade-up game is improving. I think that if she can keep this fight on the feet, I think she can land the more effective shots. Roxanne Mataferi does take a lot of shots, man. She does eat over five shots per minute. Um, and I think that Maya can land a lot of shots, at least the more effective ones, the low kicks, the, the big right hands. You know, as her Roxanne shots are just going to be more pepper, pepper, trying to get takedowns. And if she can't get those takedowns consistently, she's going to lose a decision here, you know, just due to the fact that Maya hits harder. So I'm going to go with Jennifer Maya by close decision one. She's going to give you all a disclaimer that I've been very bad at picking Roxanne Modafferi fights on our second UFC stint because back in the day, I don't know if you guys watched Strike Force, but Roxanne Modafferi used to be universally considered one of the okay. biggest jokes in MMA. I mean, she was getting slam KO'd more than once. You know, you know what I'm saying? So we were we were thinking like, oh, Roxanne Modafferi in the UFC, <laughs> you know, all this stuff, but. Hey man, she uh she got her arm raised by decision against the Shevchenko in Russia. So I got to give her a lot of credit. And interestingly enough, these two have fought before. They're very familiar with each other. And Jennifer Maya has been kind of a letdown to me because I had high expectations when she came to the UFC. I even picked her against Liz Carmouche. Didn't better, thank God. But I picked her 
Very disappointing performance. Seemed like she couldn't get up off her back. But she made some big improvements in that Alexis Davis fight. Obviously thoroughly outstruck her. And instead of giving up three takedowns like she did against Carmouche, she only gave up one in the Alexis Davis fight, which was a sign of improvement. But the thing is, if she gets taken down here against Roxanne Monteferri, similar to their first fight, I'm not convinced she's going to get back up, man. It, it, so it's actually a very, very tough fight for me to call for that reason because, you know, I, I hate to be like, well, on the feet, Maya wipes the floor with her and on the mat, Roxanne does too. But I really, I really do feel that way. That being said, I'm going to refer back to the first fight. If it was a if it was a three-round fight, Roxanne would have won because, you know, Maya only won the first, fourth, and fifth. That means that in the second and third, Roxanne was able to get off on some top control. And if she does that here, she's going to walk away a winner. So I'm going to go with uh, Roxanne Modafferi to avenge her loss to Jennifer Maya. And next up in the 205-pound division, we got Smiling Sam Alves, 33-12, and 12, and Klitsin, the Russian terror, Abreu is 14 and 3. Currently, they got Klitsin Abreu minus 175. The comeback on Sam Alvey is plus 155. Well, Shaq, Klitsin Abreu over in Russia, he was fighting a bunch of heavyweights and they called him the Russian Terror because he would submit most of these Russian heavyweights. But then he made his UFC debut against Magomed Ankaliyev and let's just put it this way, uh we weren't quite calling him the Russian Terror that night, you know what I'm saying? Uh and he also missed weight by 4 pounds. So not only do I want to know your perspective on the matchup, but do you think Clinton Abreu will make the 206-pound limit? Yeah, I think he's going to make weight this time. You know, I know he's doing this camp in the States at American Top Team. He's got that team behind him now. So I, I expect him to make weight this time. I think they're taking, you know, this fight uh, as the biggest opportunity in Clinton's career. So uh, with American Top Team behind him, yeah, I'm confident he makes weight. And he's got this fight with Sam Alvey. And, you know, Sam Alvey is a guy that, you know, I've faded in the past. And, you know... Like I've said in the past, Alvy ain't winning no decision. I mean, <laughs> uh, was the last time Alvy won a decision? John Volante and and you know those guys, those type of guys, the Volantes, the Alvies, the uh, the the Ovin St. Preuses of the world, the Ed Hermans, the the Cummings. Those guys are those guys are starting to head out this game, man. They can't take those they can't take those shots from these uh, new two fivers. Now I wouldn't c consider Clitson as one of these new wave two fivers, but you know I feel like Clitson honestly. It doesn't take much to beat Alvy these days. I mean, he's out here getting knocked out by guys like Antonio Little, uh, Little Nog Noguera, man. I mean, this guy tricked y'all into thinking Little Nog was back <laughs> and uh, bet him against Span. Was I, was like, no. I was like, no, I was like, no, Span's gonna kill him. <laughs> and uh, you know what I'm saying? Little Nog's. Old. It's just because Alvy's got no footwork. He stands there with it. I mean, Talis Latus is old ass. Beat this guy back in the day. Sam Alvy. All you got to do is avoid that big uh, right hook. And you know, if you're an idiot like John Volante and Marcin Prachnio and 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 these guys, yeah, then I'm, I'm a little sketch, but. You know, as long as you got, you know, come in with that solid game plan, like I think American top team is going to have Clinton in this time. I think he's definitely going to come out here and either knock Sam, Sam Alvey out because, look, I know Clinton's more known for his jiu-jitsu, but I'll tell you right now, Alvey's chin is not holding up. You know, his last fight against Jim Crude, I mean, he thought it was an early stoppage. I mean, the guy was face down on the mat. A little knock fight, his leg was folded up backwards against a 42-year-old 40, a guy. You know, that was a vicious KO like bad KO and you know his fights before that like I said John Volante those those fights were snooze fest I mean Volante's a nice guy but we, we know Volante's done guys and uh Alvy is too and Alvy is too man I, I think this is I think this is gonna be uh you know three in a row for the first time in his career 
Uh, I think Clinton's going to land the harder shots on the feet or be more active, and I think Sam Alvey's durability is going to fail him. So I'm going to go with uh, Clinton and Brady. Yeah, look, Clinton and Brady was very impressive over in Russia at heavyweight because, like I already mentioned, he was very outsized. You know, he'd weigh in 230 pounds. He's fighting these guys that weigh 265 pounds. And, man, you would go out there and submit those guys. I'm talking about guys like Viktor Nemkov. You know, he was 27-6 at the time. The guy's weighing in uh, very heavy. And then you got that fight against Anton, whatever his last name is. And that dude weighed in 265. You know what I'm saying? And Klitsin, he's got nice takedowns. It's just one of those things where when you're fighting a guy like Ankaliev, who's much faster than you, sometimes when a guy's that much faster than you, it can kind of fuck with your technique because you don't feel as confident committing. You know, you don't want to you don't want to throw as hard as you can because the guy's so fast he can counter you and he hurt him really bad. He smashed his nose with that uppercut on the takedown attempt, and Klitson still had the wherewithal to go three rounds. But here against Alvi, who's significantly slower than Magomed Ankaliev, I think this is a spot where Klitson can show off his striking a little bit. Whether it's the kicks, I mean, he can mix it up to the legs, go up high with it. He's got big hooks. And most importantly, the guy's world-class with his jiu-jitsu. When this guy gets on top of you, chances are not only are you not going to get back up, but chances are you might give him your arm or your neck. And I know Sam Alvey, historically speaking, does have good takedown defense, but I have seen him put on his back, for example, by Rashad Evans at middleweight. Okay, and this is not Hall of Fame Rashad. This was Rashad on a four-fight skid. You know, this was Rashad trying to uh, trying to save his career at, at middleweight. With ankle sleep. <laughs> with ankle sleeves on, you know what I'm saying? So that guy took down Sam Alvey. I think Clinton can too, but I also think if Clinton wants to come out here, test the stand-up, look, this is southpaw versus southpaw. That means that the leg kicks are going to be open for Clinton to break. You want to go out there with the game plan that Tom Watson that showed you all uh, in Sam Alvey's debut? You know that's still, a, that's still a way to beat him, right? So I think that he can go out there, kick him for three rounds, but somewhere along the way, I do think he catches the very tough Sam Alvey. The thing he's got to look out for is when he charges in a little bit reckless, Sam Alvey, look, he's always had a money counter right hook. I know you guys remember back on Tough when he floored Leo Koontz back at 170 pounds, and we were all like, holy shit. You know what I'm saying? The Cesar Mutange fight. He's knocked out a lot of other guys too. Marcin Prachnio, some other ones. So Sam Alvey can hit anyone. And, you know, if if you put your hands down and your chin up and that dude cracks you with that right hook, you might go flying. But if that doesn't happen, I do have Clinton Abreu winning the long-term battle. So I'm going to pick him here as well. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Raquel Pennington. She's 9-7, and seven, and Irena Aldana is 10-4. and four. Currently, they got Irena Aldana minus 130. The comeback on Raquel Pennington is plus 110. Well, it's close to a pick-up. Slight lean on Irena Aldana. A lot of action coming in Raquel Pennington's way. And, I mean, look, I understand on paper, I mean, Raquel Pennington, she's coming off fights with Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Durand and me. On paper, this is a massive step down from those two uh, championship-level fighters. Do you think Raquel Pennington can get back on track here? Shout out to my girl Jermaine for knocking girls out in, the, in 16 seconds. But uh, You know that was a late stoppage. <laughs> <laughs> Early stoppage my ass, but uh, you know, so Shout out to my boy Matt Brown. <laughs> but uh, you know, this fight's going to be really good, man. I feel like this is, you know, that typical uh what I like to call a cleanup spot. You know, you got Pennington, uh, she's coming off a devastating loss to Amanda Nunes in which she took a lot of punishment, but a lot of people forget before that she was coming off an extensive layoff from UFC 205 against Misha Tate because didn't she uh, have like a, a, a very bad leg injury, right? Like a car accident, something, something four-wheeler like that. Accident, yeah, yeah. four-wheeler accident. 
and you know, generally, and I can just tell you from experience, those are devastating. And, and just what I just, I, I just remember when Tanya Evanger had that leg injury. Like she came back, she looked completely. She got shit. thirty twenty five by Lena Landsberg. Yeah, she's out here like quitting, and I feel like you know, Raquel's a little tougher, a little better than that. But you know, I feel like honestly. When we really look at the skills, we have a large enough sample size to know what she is. I mean, she's nine and eight, you know. She uh, had. When we really look at who she beat, she beat Andrade, you know, the, the current UFC champion up at Bantamweight when Andrade used to quit every fight. And for for those for those that don't know and just think it's so cool that she beat Andrade, this was Andrade that was up two weight classes. Andrade guys. used to quit every third round of every fight back then, guys. even against Sarah Morales. Look, Andrade is the champion down two weight classes, guys. You know what I'm saying? So that was uh, Andrade's, you know, early stages of her career. And then she beat Betchko Rea by split decision. And we know uh, Betchko Rea is, what? what's her UFC record? Like, yeah. I'm more focused on other things when we talk about Betchko Rea. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, then, we're, then we're talking about uh, she beat Misha Tate, who ended up retiring after that fight. And, look, when Amanda gets these girls, man, <laughs> it's generally over, man. You know, <laughs> she lays a whooping on them. I mean, look, Holly Holm, let's be honest here. Holly Holmes like one in ten in her last eleven <laughs> fights, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, I feel like Raquel Pennington is a tough girl. When she was at her best, she she was known for being able to take a lot of punishment, move forward, be that you know gritty fighter. You know, be in the clinch, had a sneaky little sub game. You know, with the subs against Andrade and and uh, Ashley Evan Smith. You know, she was a tough fighter, and the Misha Tate fight was the height of her career. But that leg injury, the the mixture in with Amanda Nunes and the what she was saying in her corner saying you know i don't want to do you know, i don't want to go back out there they send her back out there it gets worse and, gets and then you and then you send her in there with jermaine she misses weight you know the signs are leading towards you know i remember specifically paul felder in the jermaine fight was saying it seems like raquel's not into it anymore you know what i'm saying and i think he's right you know i feel like arena is gonna come out here she's got sharp takedown defense arena's issue and her first couple fights was, especially in the first one with Leslie Smith, where she was getting pushed back too much. You know, she wasn't standing her ground. She was dropping her left hand after these jabs. But I can honestly say, you know, every fight there is uh, small improvements. You know, the Chukagian fight, man, she got chooped. And, you know, chook. Happens to the best it of them. It happens to the best of them. You know, chook's a, chook's a serious one with that shit, man. <laughs> Ask my girl JoJo. <laughs> You know, at least at least Arena, at least she didn't get a thirty twenty seven. You know what I'm saying? At least it was split twenty nine twenty eight. But it was a, a super close fight. Chuk did it again. You know, and then she comes back in there against Alita Bernardo. She's you know standing a little more firm on her punches. She gets her confidence. Comes back against uh, Pudilova, which was a war, and where she did get pushed back a little bit, but she just responded more. She's getting more comfortable in the octagon in the Bech Correa fight. You know, Correa comes in super overweight, like ten pounds overweight. <laughs> and I'll talk about my girl Bech. <laughs> you know, and Irene, you know, she stayed disciplined. She's getting more disciplined. She's throwing her jab. She's bouncing up and down. She's moving. And I remember Chukagian's shooting a lot of takedowns against uh, Irene, and she couldn't get any of them. So, you know, I feel like she's got the necessary takedown defense. And I think Rocky's not really a good double legger. I feel like she's got more of a body lock, and she likes to just hold against the fence. You know, I feel like she's more of just a, a person that likes to tie up a lot. So I, I got Irene by decision 30-27. You know, I feel like this is her time. I think she's getting primed up for this spot and you know Raquel had a good run but I just think there's just too many factors that are leading to her demise like I said you know the the, the four-wheeler accident 
mixed in with Amanda Nunes, mixed in with Jermaine Duran to me. I don't think it's the the the, the loss is gonna be to that extent, but I just think it's gonna be probably she can't pull the trigger, you know, she she's just getting you know, Arena's running circles around her, you know, doing the I'll tell you what those Lobo girls, her and her uh and Grasso, man, they're doing those workouts where they're they're doing uh they're on that next level shit. So I'm gonna go with Arena. I mean it really seems like Irena and uh Grasso, like they're finally coming into their own. You know, they came into the UFC with so much potential, so much hype. Had to take a couple, you know, stumbling blocks, a couple, a couple humblings, and since that point, man, they've been coming out firing on all cylinders. And I hear a lot of people talking about how, well, Bech Cohea was up two rounds against Irena Aldana, which first of all is complete bullshit. Second of all, Irena Aldana finished the fight, and third of all, Bech Cohea arguably beat Raquel Pennington. So don't even sit here and give me any of that bullshit. Second of all, let's talk about the output because the output is just day and night between these two. I mean, Irena literally lands almost twice as much. Irene is in there bouncing and making sense. <laughs> as Raquel does. And, you know, if Raquel was fresh, you know, right after the Misha Tate fight, even then it'd be questionable. But if this was around that time, you know, then then this fight should be a pick em. But now you're starting to question yourself a little bit and you're going to go up against someone who has twice the output as you. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Now let's talk about the grappling because, okay, well, let's say it's not working out on the feet for Raquel Pennington. Let's push her up against the fence. Let's mix in those takedowns. Did, uh, did anyone tell you Irene Aldana's got a 95% takedown defense and it's improving every single fight? I just think that right now this is a very bad matchup for Raquel Pennington. And I'm going to go with Irene Aldana via decision here. Now next up in the featherweight division, we got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. He's 14-12 and 12, and Steven Ocho Peterson is 17-8. and 8. Currently, they got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres minus 140. The comeback on Steven Ocho Peterson is plus 120. Well... You got one guy that's 14 and 12 versus the other guy who is kind of a walking punching bag, but that walking punching bag does train out of Fortis MMA. You know he's got safe Saud in his corner. Do you think that's enough to lead him to victory here against the 14 and 12 guy? If only, you know, Alonzo and Jeff Neal could get in there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, generally I, I definitely wouldn't be interested in a guy like Peterson. Like you said, he, he is a zombie. Sometimes you wonder how much longer can he take this type of punishment that he takes. But when you really think about it, he has to fight like that, man. He's not an athlete, you know. It's not like he's going to stand on the outside and, you know, throw combos with somebody. <laughs> he's got to get down there and get ugly and, and make this a dogfight. So, so now I'm starting to understand Ocho Peterson a little bit better. I mean, he has to fight like that to have any success. And, you know, against certain opponents, that are polished and clean like Luis Pena who are going upwards you know what I'm saying in their careers and he's probably gonna Brandon Davis you know he's probably gonna come up short you know and that's exactly what happens but when he fights guys on the downs like Matt Bissett or you know Bruce Leroy you know then he, he tends to uh to do a little better so it's gonna be a good matchup Bruce Leroy we know he's been around the UFC his entire career we know he's pretty much hit or miss 50-50 seems like generally you know, Peterson is a guy that he would, that is a type of uh, guy with a profile that he would beat. But then I started looking deep down into it. You know, when you watch that Martin Bravo fight, that's it was definitely an alarming sign for me because I feel like in the late rounds, Caceres was literally out here fighting with his hands completely down to a point where I was like, bro, your chin is straight in the air. Like, like anyone better would absolutely knock you unconscious, you know what I'm saying? And Bravo, you know, he's from one of those uh, tough Latin American, one of the worst tough Latin. That's the one with Puelas. Oh my bad. Uh, that's the one with Puelas and uh, 
All those guys. Let's just put it this way. Humberto Band and I send this guy into the 10th <laughs> dimension. Band and I, guys. <laughs> that just shows you what we're working with here. But, uh, I mean, I, Peterson, generally, I don't think his style would work. And it's not going to work long term in the UFC. But in this particular fight, one thing I was surprised by with Peterson was his ground game. You know, I, I was surprised that he had some takedowns. And Martin Bravo took Caceres down multiple times, man. And, and you know, I felt like Peterson had some sneaky little back takes. Uh, you know, he could. But, you know, Luis Pena was defending with the Kimura. I don't think uh, Alex Caceres is competent enough to do, to do things like that. You know, and then what? The, and the thing is, you know, when they would break, you know, after the, the close tie-up exchanges, Luis would unload off with punches and, and Peterson would give up the lead and, you know, Pena would just maintain it maintain it throughout the three rounds. But Caceres is a guy that gets tired. Like I said, his chin is sky high up in the air. So I feel like this fight could be up in Peterson's wheelhouse, man. I feel like this could possibly could be fight of the night. I mean, these two guys don't give a fuck about taking any type of damage. I mean, these guys are... are uh, Dana loves these two guys, you know what I'm saying? It's Peterson brings it. This guy's doing uh, the Verdum kicks and shit in his fights. You know, I feel like this could be a good fight for, for Peterson. I don't think the straight two is enough. I feel like... I mean, I've seen Peterson literally eat head kicks from Pena, like flush head on, and nothing, and nothing really gets this kid to the point where, like, you know, Brandon Davis was the closest thing I've seen him to getting knocked out with the knee you know so if Caceres can land a knee but it seems like punches aren't gonna do the job not one straight two is gonna do the job unless the damage meter is finally taken up I feel like Peterson's just one of these guys so I'm gonna take Peterson for an upset in the late rounds you know I feel like Caceres might drop him early or you know might be touching him up with the kicks but I feel like in that second and third round it's looking evident that Caceres is getting older that he can't maintain the pace and Peterson's a dog man I mean Snoop invited Peterson to the barbecue on on uh when he fought Benito Lopez off a, on a, off a loss, he was like, man, Peterson is a dog, bro. Like, he's Peterson's going to walk forward the entire time. So if he can, uh, you know, avoid the big shots from Caceres, I think he can get Caceres in the late rounds. I mean, if Martin Bravo's getting to this guy, I think Peterson can too. And I, and I think he's going to make up the ground with the takedowns. I think this guy's got underrated jujitsu. I think he can take uh, Caceres down and, and control him a little. Speaking of that Martin Bravo versus Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres fight, I know people are going to bring up how Alex Bruce Leroy dropped Martin Bravo. He definitely did, but I mean, you guys got to consider what Martin Bravo was coming back from. He was coming back from a devastating, vicious stiffening against Humberto Bandanay. So not only did you have to take the, the physical damage of getting knocked out in such devastating fashion, you know, baseball bat to the chin, but then you got to deal with the psychological effects that that dude, Humberto Bandanai, who we've seen break like on multiple occasions. Austin Arnett got a 10-8 round against this guy. <laughs> Austin Arnett's out here 10 8 this guy, and he knocked me out in 20 seconds or whatever. So it's just one of those things where, yeah, of course Bruce Leroy was out there dropping Martin Bravo, and he still barely beat him, man. I mean, it was still arguably Martin Bravo won that fight, man. <laughs> I mean, Loki, look. So basically what I'm trying to say is that Bruce Leroy is on the level of a Martin Bravo, of a Humberto Bandanay, a Claudio Puelas. That's what he's digressed to, man. And with Steven Peterson, not that he is you know, so many levels above or anything like that, but he brings one key component to the table here that's going to give Alex Bruce Leroy fits, and that's that forward pressure. You know, 
Bruce Leroy might be able to run and land some shots for about the first round, but eventually, man, you can only run for so long. And when I've seen this questionable cardio, this questionable chin over and over and over again, now you're putting him in there with a pressure fighter. Into the Cisco Rivera fight. How could I forget the Cisco Rivera fight? (laughs) Wang Wan fight. And by the way, how the fuck was that Wang Wang Wan fight split? 326, but... You know, so... (laughs) I think this will be a, a victory for Steven Peterson, man. I think the pressure is going to be too much. I think he, he can catch him on the feet or just overwhelm him. And also, I think he's going to have to mix in some takedowns, take the back of Caceres. Yeah, I know he's no Crone Gracie, but guys, it's not just Crone Gracie who's out there choking him out. What about Jason Knight? So, what about Conor Hart? <laughs> someone on tough, too. So I'm just saying, man, uh, I'm going with Steven Peterson here. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got a rematch between Andre Arlovsky. He's 27 and 18. And Big Ben Rothwell is 36 and 11. Currently, they got Ben Rothwell minus 190. The comeback on Andre Arlovsky is plus 165. Uh, Shaq, well, here's one rematch you didn't think uh, was ever going to happen. And now they're running it back. I mean, you know, the first time they fought, Andre went out there and he knocked out Ben Rothwell in devastating fashion. So back in 2008, over 10 years ago, Andre Arlovsky knocked out Ben Rothwell in the third round at affliction one. Shaq. That's my boy Trump's promotion. <laughs> Just to give you guys a little background info, Fedor Emelianenko was headlining the card against Tim Sylvia, okay? Andre Arlovsky versus Ben Rothwell in the co-man. You had Josh Barnett versus Pedro Hizo. Even my boy Mark Hominick was in there with Savon Young. Babalu, Matt Lindlin, Kyle. You know what I'm saying? Vito, he killed Terry Martin that night. Oh, man, Vitor Belfort was second fight of the night versus Terry Martin. You know what I mean? So that's how long ago it was. But now they're running it back uh, – as you already know, Shaq, Arlovsky's lost nine of his last 11 fights. But it seems like since the Nganu fight, most of them have been pretty damn close. And with Ben Rothwell, he also hasn't tasted victory since 2016. So interestingly enough, it's actually Arlovsky who's gotten his arm raised more recently in 2018 when he went out there and beat Struve. So now I got to know who wins the rematch here. Man, this is going to be a good fight because like you said, uh, Rothwell's coming off that Somewhat controversial loss to Blagoy, uh, my boy Baga, you know, Ivanov. And a lot of people think he won that fight. He did move forward. But from what I saw, he was moving forward. But he was getting countered the entire time with Blagoy's left hand. Uh, So, you know, I thought he looked good for, you know, coming off a layoff. You know, I honestly thought he was probably going to get knocked out in that spot. But, uh, you know, Blagoy was able to, he he looked good. But, you know, that was a a blow to him where he thought he was robbed to a point where it took a lot out of him, you know. So we know Arlovsky, the deal with him is uh, he pretty much loses most of the time unless he's fighting Stefan Struve, retired Junior Albini out of the UFC. Um, so his his last fight with Sakai I mean he looked good the first round and it seems like if he's fighting these guys that are 265 pounds you know big guys like that Arlovsky's gonna have a speed advantage and I mean he can frustrate him with the movement he doesn't like to engage he likes to just run around and and jab and and look pretty and Rothwell's somewhat of a punching bag man he just charges forward like a a big goof and you know uh, (laughs) he's got a good chin for the most part Uh, JDS he went five rounds with JDS so I would say he could take some damage but, you know, I feel like this is one of Arlovsky's actually more winnable fights in a long time. You know, I feel like this guy, Ben Rothwell, is not on the ups like Sakai. You know, my boy Sakai is about to get uh, a big win against Tybora here in a, in a few... Uh, Fraudbura. Yeah, Fraudbura. <laughs> He's about to get a win against Fraudbura in a uh, in a little bit. Wild Harris might possibly get a, the biggest win of his career. He's on the ups. Uh, you know, uh, Francis Ngannou... Uh, 
even guys like Overeem, you know, those guys are top five guys. I feel like, uh, you know, this guy, Ben Rothwell, yeah, he did knock out Overeem. He, he has been some of the best, but the, the USADA thing is because uh, is, uh, that's his second time getting popped, you know what I'm saying? That's a big issue, you know? And uh, if he's not on, I know he's coming with something to prove, but just from a betting perspective, I don't think this is a spot where you say, you know, I'm fading Arlovsky with Ben Rothwell at minus one. Uh, what, what is it? Minus 190. Minus 190, you know what I'm saying? You know, I would I would be more comfortable doing that against a younger guy like, you know, Owad Harris, uh, you know, uh, Sakai. Sakai, you know, not a guy like Ben Rothwell who, you know, doesn't have his juice anymore. <laughs> who you got between <laughs> between Andre Arlowski and Dante Mays? The guy Snoop Dogg said wasn't invited uh, to the, the gang fight. just got a UFC contract that Dana literally gave a UFC contract. Uh, gave. Um, I would go Arlowski, yeah, yeah. I think Arlovsky's issue is that he puts himself in a spot where he's fighting these young guys like Tui Vasa and these guys that just wanted a little bit more than him. You know what I'm saying? Sakai went after him in those late rounds. Damn, so you mean he's losing to frauds like Tui Vasa? Yeah. I mean, Tui Vasa's ranked. He is uh, 2-9 and nine in is his Rothwell last ranked? Is Rothwell ranked? That's a good question. But when you look at the dudes Rothwell was on the streak against, we're talking Mitrione, we're talking... Rothwell's not ranked. He was ranked, but then he uh, injected uh, needles he tested, in his ass. He tested positive again. <laughs> you said that's not the first time. <laughs> you know, so uh, so who you got? I'm gonna go with Andre Arlovski in an upset. You know, I feel like he's gonna have one of those nice little moments in the cage in San Antonio. You know, uh, he's back. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say by knockout too. You know, I feel like. Uh, People are sleeping on it. This guy, Ben Rothwell, is not on the ups, guys. He's on the downs. He ain't got his juice no more. I feel like he might be deflated coming in. So I'm going to go with Arlovsky. I feel like he still wants to do it. I mean, Shaq laid out some very great points that Andre Arlovsky does have a good style to go out there and beat Ben Rothwell. Because as you know, Ben Rothwell kind of stationary, only lands one big shot at a time. Around that third round, though, you remember that Brad Navarre fight? When he, when he starts uh, doing that little dance, you got to fucking look out. If Ben Rothwell starts to do the dance, Andre Arlovsky better be on his bike right away. But if that's not the case here, I really do think that Andre can come out here and kind of hit and run against Ben Rothwell. The issue here with that is that even though he's getting off on some volume, it might take one punch from Ben Rothwell to make Andre hesitant. And then from there, it might be one of those boring heavyweight fights where they kind of stare at each other. Who's going to make the move? You know, two minutes pass, nothing happens. One guy lands a big shot, that kind of thing. So I could see this being kind of a staring contest. I could also see a scenario where Ben Rothwell goes in there and catches Arlovsky. But what I do think is going to happen is that Andre is going to be, you know, landing his shots, out-voluming him and picking him apart. And then when that big shot lands, it's going to make him really hesitant and I do think that he either goes on to lose the decision or gets knocked out. So I'm actually going to go with the favorite here. I'm going to go with Ben Rothwell. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo. He's 23-6. and six. And the return of Alexander, not so great Hernandez, is 10-2. and two. I mean, Alexander the Great. Currently, they got Alexander Hernandez, minus 190. The comeback on Francisco Trinaldo is plus 165. Well, Shaq, you remember when we went out there, first event of the year, easily faded this kid using the big words with that plus 180 with Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, go back go back and listen to what we said. I mean, I was like, kid, I, you say some really big words. You got a nice vocabulary, but like, that's not going to save you. <laughs> you know, I'd love to take an English literature class from this kid. You know, he could 
<laughs> teach me uh he, he's like a pocket dictionary you know it shows you words you never even knew existed but as far as his fighting abilities uh Look, he went in there with, with Dariush, who was coming off a devastating KO against Barboza, a devastating war against Dunham, and, you know, he feasted on the carcass. You go back and you listen to that episode of Half the Battle. We told you, do not parlay Benil in this spot. Then the next fight against, uh, you know, the Canadian gangster, the Canadian fraud, OAM, I mean, the, the guy OAM, you know, he, he beats a, a retiring fighter, and then all of a sudden he's got two bodyguards at the press conference and a mustache. So, he beat Rocky you know what I'm saying? So it was one of those things where that fight, that, then you got to see Alex Hernandez go 15 minutes, and it was very, very sloppy, Shag. It was ugly. I was like, oh, fuck. Then they put him in there with Cowboy. They make him the favorite. <laughs> I was like, damn, okay. Give me that plus 180. Now the question here is, first of all, after such a devastating result, do you think the kid can mentally bounce back? being so inexperienced and using all the big words he was using against a guy in Trinaldo who, in his last 11 fights, Shaq, he's only lost to Kevin Lee and James Vick. How do you see this fight playing out? Yeah, going into that Cerrone fight, to be honest, to be honest, I hadn't been more sure of anything in my life that the kid was a fraud, you know? I think that uh, for that level, top 15 UFC lightweight division, in my opinion, I was like, man, there's a possibility this kid is way in over his head. Because, you know, like you said, he beat Dariush in less than a minute. It was the, the knockout was spectacular, but we really don't get to know too much about him. But then when we did get to know much about him against OAM, let's just be honest here, guys. If, if you put him, match him up with any other top 15 lightweight in the division, we're talking guys like, uh, let's see, let's, let's, pull up the <laughs> let's pull up the list. You know, I'll just read from number five down. Well, Cerrone was number four, Gaethje, Ayakenta, Barbosa, Lee. Pettis, Felder, Oliveira, Gillespie, Makachev, and then and then Vic. So, you know, majority of those guys, you know, I'm talking about the, the points where he was shooting takedowns and he was falling face first and OEM actually mounted him in the second round. But, you know, a good guy would have finished him there and iced him out. But OEM, the only reason why he was ranked is because he beat Evan Dunham, who was one fight away from retirement. What did OEM do when he had full mount? <laughs> He went for a fucking leg lock and did some shit and went to his back and he did it again in the third round. He had every opportunity to win that fight. That's why it was such a surefire bet when he fought Cerrone. And that's why OEM's getting fed to an 0-1 <laughs> prospect. You know, OEM doesn't have it anymore, man. The guy was a fraud the entire time. And, you know, he, he was able to win that fight because he wanted it a little bit more. You know, those takedowns, I really wasn't that impressed, to be honest. Like, those were, he was literally just picking out his ankle and, and OEM was going to the back, going to his back and and pretty much quitting, man. I honestly believe OEM, you know, might be possibly done here you know, in the near future, man. He's fighting the kid, uh, Saruki, and we'll, we'll see how that goes for him. But uh, Ain't going to go well, I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> but, I mean, he's quitting to a point where, like, Hernandez looked like shit in that fight. So then he fights Cerrone. He came forward the entire time. Kid's very tough. He took a lot of damage, but he got fucked up badly he got dominated he was nowhere near Cerrone's level Cerrone was a big underdog he was old he was coming off all these losses oh he was coming off the Mike Perry win but uh he was coming off a lot of losses before that and Cerrone handled him with ease man in his lightweight in, in his return back to lightweight so now he's coming back here against Ronaldo like you said Ronaldo's won uh nine out of 11 fights with wins over guys like Paul Felder guys that have you know, generally in the lightweight division, is one of those divisions where to make it to that top 15, I mean, my God, you got to go through fucking, I mean, when I look at all the guys in there right now, you know, I mean, even Ian Kenta's fought a, a fucking Masvidal in the past, you know, I'm looking at, uh, he, he did knock out Dariush, but 
Dariush was out here fighting with his hands down and his chin sky high in the air. You know, like you said, we told you not to parlay Darius. I think there's a chance where Hernandez really is super unproven in this spot, man. I, I get it. One thing he does have going for him is the big age difference between both guys. Generally, that does side with the younger guy. But I feel like Trinaldo still fights with that spirit. My only concern with Trinaldo is, uh, you know, he is a little bit chinny, you know. Uh, he definitely is getting a little older. But this guy, Trinaldo, man, if you're not on this, on this level... You know, the fight with James Vick I thought was very close, but one thing Vick had going for him in that fight is that he's 6'3", you know. <laughs> Alex Hernandez is definitely a lot shorter, you know, in those spots where Trinado couldn't uh, just quite reach Vick's chin. You know, I definitely feel like he can definitely touch a guy like Hernandez's chin, and Hernandez didn't respond, the, respond well the first time he got hit, and the, and the OAM fight was basically a wrestling game. Hernandez said he got rocked against OAM, too. He said something about his equilibrium. He started using a bunch of big words yeah. to, to, to make an excuse for why that performance was so yeah, shitty. I mean, and I, so, you know, I think that Francisco Trinaldo, you know, as long as he comes out here, minds his P's and Q's early, doesn't let Hernandez get off on a big combo and possibly knocked out. And I feel like, you know, to do that, you're going to have to stand in the in the fire for the counter. And Trinaldo's counter is dead, <laughs> is deadly if you're in range, man. This guy, those um, Evolution tie guys, man, one thing they're known for is their power, man. And Hernandez really hasn't been hit like that. I mean, he hasn't had a buildup. Like, when I'm talking, like, think about the guys outside the top 15, like the, the Jakars of the world, the... Uh, the uh Tysumov. The Tysumovs. Diego Ferreira. The, the Gilbert Burns is the, the Diego Ferreras. You know, these guys aren't even ranked. Like, these guys have had so many fights. This kid's had three due to the fact that he talks well. But I'm going to go with Chinago, man. I don't think this kid Hernandez is ready for this yet. I think he still needs developing. I still think that he, he should be fighting guys like, you know, like a Nick Lentz or like a... Vince Pichel. A Vince Pichel. Like, I feel like he's honestly on that level. You know, like a Roosevelt level. You know, he's still a young kid. Nasrat Hackbrass. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? He's not ready for this top 20 25 level yet and i think he's gonna get exposed again on saturday night so i'm gonna go with chinado by late tko i think hernandez you know swings hard early tries to move forward but at some point he eats a, a overhand left from god and you know i think that he he feels it and he gets dropped and you know when he can't get his uh takedowns and i don't think because ronaldo has got a really good sprawl i know jim miller but uh, took him down, but you know he got back up. <laughs> you know he got back up and he brutalized Jim Miller to the body. You know his fight against uh, Evan Dunham, he brutalized him as well. I think that Chinado has seen tougher opposition. I feel like he's been in tougher moments than Alexander Hernandez. I think his experience is going to carry him to the win here. I honestly feel like that Benil Dariush fight was the best and worst thing that's ever happened to Alex Hernandez. Yeah, it was the best because get your foot in the door, get you that 50K bonus, immediately get but you in the rankings. The deep shit now, kid. But now it's like, bro, like we kind of, I don't want to call it a fluke knockout, but I mean, look, Benil was coming off some brutal results prior to that. You feasted on a carcass and all of a sudden you got rushed to the top 15. You know, you had that fight against OAM, which I mean, when it's life and death with a guy like OAM, it tells me that you're on that level. It's like, okay, man. Fine. Then they favor you over Donald Cerrone and throw you in the top 15. I just thought it was one of the biggest jokes I've ever seen. The kids out here saying shit about geriatrics and all this bullshit. And then uh, and the, his mixed mistresses, whatever the fuck that means. Like, what do you mean mixed mistresses, you fucking weirdo? And, you know, then the head kick, uh, the shin to chin. The kid didn't recover. We haven't heard from him since. He comes back with a shaved head. Look, bottom line here, Francisco Trinaldo is no joke at all. One thing about Trinaldo is that he'll fight for your money. 
In his last 11 fights, he's only lost to perennial top 15 Kevin Lee and James Vick, and he's defeated household names like Paul Felder, Jim Miller, Dunham, Medeiros, Pearson, Lepree. Like, you can sit here and tell me all you want about those guys, but Alex Hernandez hasn't fucking been out here fighting all these guys, you know what I'm saying? What's he proven to us besides he can go out there and get a quick little knockout against a guy who was coming off some very devastating results? Toronto has a lot of good attributes, but most importantly, is he has a lot of fight in him. And yeah, he is 40 years old, but unless he's dramatically aged a lot in the last year, he's not that old of a 40-year-old, you know? We saw a 40-year-old and my boy Uriah Faber go out there and knock out Ricky Simone, and trust me, I know this firsthand because I lost on Ricky Simone, props to the California kid, but you always have to look out for the overhand left of Francisco Trinaldo. He sets it up with that jab. His body kick is extremely hard. You know those master Andre Dida, Evolucio guys kick like mules, and they come to fight. And guess what? Trinaldo can choke you out too, and his wrestling is getting a lot better. So it's one of those things where Alex might come out and push the pace early, might get him down, might do all these things, but as the fight progresses, Francisco lives in that dogfight, man. Francisco's been there throughout his whole career. He's in there in the gym every day with guys like Neto BJJ. Alex Hernandez, things have to be going perfectly for him. I know we were just talking about that 50-50 fight with OAM, but OAM literally gifted him that fight. Alex was ready to go home in that second round when he got mounted, and then OAM's like, you know what? Instead of finishing you, instead of finishing you, how about I drop back for a leg lock and just let you win this fight? I don't think Trinaldo's about to drop back for a leg lock. No, we said about those Frenchies in the past. Especially the ones that show up with bodyguards and mustaches. Look, yeah, the kid spent his money on two bodyguards and a fanny pack. That's all I got to say. You know, he's giving his opponents gifts at the weigh-ins and shit. Like, bro, there's not going to be any chocolates handed to you here at these weigh-ins with Trinaldo. This is going to be a real fight. And in a real fight, I got Francisco Trinaldo. So I will also take him for the upset here. Next up in the lightweight division, we got James the Texecutioner Vic. He's 13-3. and three, And Dan the Hangman Hooker is 17-8. and eight. Currently, they got Dan the Hangman Hooker minus 135. The comeback on James the Texecutioner Vic is plus 115. Well, Shaq, you got two tall men with tall man's defense in the 155-pound division. Both have very similar styles. Is actually the tallest opponent Dan Hooker has ever faced. Both guys desperately need to get back on track. Very, very interesting fight. Obviously, Dan Hooker coming off a devastating result against Edson Barbosa. But I'll tell you what, man. Ever since Dan Hooker moved up to 155 pounds... His frame has been filling out. I feel like he's been getting a lot of confidence. He's been having some of the best performances of his career, namely the knockout wins over Pearson, Miller, and Burns. And he also went out there and choked out a guy in Mark DeCasey, so he's definitely been doing his thing. With James Vick, obviously, you know, he made it to the top 15, stumbled uh, when he got to, you know, the top 10 fight with Justin Gaethje, and then he let Paul Felder enter the rankings with that L. So James Vick definitely needs to figure some things out. And I personally think that James Vick needs to go up to 170 pounds, but he has his arguments as to why he's staying at 55s. I mean, he's got one really good one. I've never missed weight before. That This is very true, Vic. You have not ever missed weight before, but the trend we've been seeing here is that these guys moving up in weight, they perform a lot better. They're able to take shots a lot better. But interestingly enough, and a lot of the people listening to the show know that Back in the day, I used to bet, I used to bet on James Vick every single fight because you know he started off his UFC career nine and one. We used to call him Mister Ninety Percent because the guy had a ninety percent win rate in the UFC. Now I'm not sitting here and saying that those days are are over, but I'm just saying that now that we're in here fighting top fifteen guys, it's a little bit different. And with Dan Hooker, very very tough guy. But one thing I want to say about these knockouts he's been getting. 
You know, you can lift your knee up and knock out five foot six guys like Jim Miller and Ross Pearson, but I don't think it's going to be that easy to just lift your knee up and knock out a guy that's taller than you, a guy that's six foot three, and James Vick. And when I mentioned that I used to bet on Vick every single fight back when he was Mr. 90%, the guys I was most worried about beating Vick were guys that could expose that tall man's defense, guys that can go out there, swing big bombs big overhand specifically and have that one punch knockout power. Now, even though Dan Hooker did go out there and knock out Gilbert Dorinho, it wasn't the type of knockout that I'm most worried about with Vic. It wasn't going forward, closing the distance, throwing something big over the top and laying the guy out. It was more so a shorter guy was trying to close the distance on Hooker and uh, Hooker, uh, you know, left hook didn't, didn't let him do that. So it was very nice. I think what Hooker needs to do here is similar to the Felder game plan, try to mix in those calf kicks and chop down the tree. Break down the taller man. That's the way to beat Vic in this spot. And obviously, if you can touch him on the chin, that'd be perfect too. But man, the reason I think Vic has an advantage in this spot is I think his movement is a lot better than Dan Hooker's. I think Dan Hooker's a lot more stationary than James Vic. The output is pretty similar between these two guys. I mean, Dan Hooker's slight edge in the output, but he also eats a lot more shots than James Vic does. It's, it's interesting when you find a spot where James Vic eats less shots than his opponents and he has better defense, and that's the case here with uh, him versus Dan Hooker. So what I think is going to happen is that it's going to be a very close fight. It's going to be two guys with very good technique, two guys trying to set up their shots, but I just think that James Vic is going to out-volume Dan Hooker, either finish late or go out there and get a decision. So I'm going to go with James Vick here via decision. Yeah, this is going to be a really good fight. You, know, you make a lot of good points. You know, Dan Hooker, like you said, coming off that hellacious ass whooping against Edson Barbosa. And uh, he showed his durability in that fight, but, you know, that fight could have been stopped a lot sooner than what it, <laughs> than what it was stopped. And uh, Hooker showed that he was a tough guy. You know, uh, up until that point, he was looking good at 55s. In this particular matchup, man, I wouldn't put that much emphasis on the you know strike for strike knees up the middle or overhand rights you know things like that um the way i see it to be to, to be honest i feel like it's the definition of a pass fight man because you know when you look at the stock of both guys you know hooker is coming off a devastating loss you kind of want to see how he comes back against his fight we know that vic is a very tough guy but I also feel like we're working, you know, from a, from a betting perspective, you know, seeing Vic got dog money. I feel like in the past, it would definitely be a great spot. I feel like in the past, he would for sure, you know, steamroll this guy or at least win a decision, you know, be the tougher guy. But I feel like we're working with a diminished version of, look, he, he can have the, all the mindset in the world, but the facts are the facts. And I feel like the weight cuts are obviously taking a toll, at least in my opinion. So Vic is there, you know, I feel like it's the same guy in there, but I just feel like his body is kind of failing on him. You know, I feel like the Justin Gaethje fight, look, that was one of the more vicious knockouts I've ever seen. I mean, it was, Me too. It was brutal. You know, I mean, I don't <laughs> get into details of what was going on afterwards, but, you know, it was a bad knockout in the Paul Felder fight. The The consensus was that, you know, he was if the fight was going to go 15 rounds, that 15, uh, 15, uh, my bad, 15 uh, minutes, that he was going to be able to, you know, maneuver around Paul Felder for a decision. But to, to do that, you got to be able to have the durability to stay in there and keep it together. And that's not what he had. You know, he got rocked with overhand rights. He got uh, hurt with calf kicks. And, you know, I feel like Hooker, as a as a slight favorite is also a little sketchy because he's a guy that you know historically in in big fights necessarily he doesn't come through i mean although he did come through against mark DeCasey as an underdog and gilbert Burns as an underdog so i actually i'll take that back but hooker's probably a little more durable i, I do feel like the the weight cuts take a toll on vic whether he realizes it or not 
And I feel that this fight's pretty much going to be, they're going to be going blow for blow. I don't think that he necessarily has to throw overhand rights. I feel like that at times, Vic, when he enters in the pocket and he, you know, starts uh, getting off on his offense, he just has poor shot selection as in, poor shot selection as in a flying knee from in close or a uppercut from in close and then he leaves his chin up in the air. Um, just things like that, you know, I feel like he gets a little too excited if the fight gets ramped up a little bit. So I feel like Hooker's probably going to take advantage of that. I feel like Vic's going to land his shots. The more obvious shots are going to be when Hooker lands him. I feel like you're gonna the crowd's going to react a little bit more to those. They're going to be a little more obvious as in Vic's chin's going to be in the air and it's going to be like, oh my God. And like I said, I feel like his durability, his durability is draining. He's 6'3". You don't see 6'3 guys fighting at 155 too often, at least for not too long. As, as, at least as long as he has. His opponent moved up from 45s. Look, uh, look how it worked for him. So I'm going to go with Hooker by, uh, I'm going to say, uh, unanimous decision. I feel like it's going to be a close fight, but get an extra knockdown or just stay ahead up on points. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got the Prince of Darkness, Greg Hardy. He's 5-0. and He ain't 4-1. and He's, He knocked out Alan Crowder. He's 5-0, and and Juan Adams is 5-1. and Currently, they got this fight a dead pick-em. Minus 110, Greg Hardy. Minus 110, Juan Adams. So, Shaq, uh, obviously everyone knows that we successfully faded Juan Adams in his last fight against uh, Mr. Bular. Now the question is, can the Prince of Darkness, Greg Hardy, come out here and not just win a decision, go out there and seal the deal, put the icing on the cake, knock this guy out? Yeah, you know, uh, Juan Adams, he's been one in this fight for a long time, and he finally got his wish. So let's see what he does. His last fight against Bueller was a shit show, to be honest. We took care of, you know, I mean, he had to bet Bueller. Juan Adams is, who is he? He's talking about Greg Hardy hasn't fought anybody. Who the fuck have you fought? <laughs> like, because from what I recall, you fought some dude named Sean Teed on, on Contender Series that looked like a math teacher that was rolling. The, all his wins are by, like, key lock or something, you know? Like, the guy was a complete joke. And you got tagged up a lot in that fight. Your chin was up in the air. All Adams really has, in my opinion, he does, you know, have volume, but he likes to square stance up with that jab and try to overwhelm these bums like De La Roca, who's a punching bag. I mean, Adam Milstead knocked that guy out. And then... Uh, Enough said. And Shanti. <laughs> and Shanti. So, you know, I feel like Greg Hardy translates to be the better athlete, faster, stronger, more powerful at least a better mindset going into this fight. Look, I know Greg Hardy's done some fucked up shit, but, like, this is a sport, bro. Like, you play people all the time that do fucked up shit. I mean, if he wants to put the emphasis on that, by all means, go ahead. But on fight night, he's going to have a lot to live up to. He's going to have a lot of words to back up. And honestly, I feel like he's put himself in a position mentally where the first punch Greg Hardy lands on his chin and that chin is wide open in the air as well. I mean, guys like uh, Chris De La Roca, he was struggling with him for a little bit. His fight with RJ and Bueller. Look, Bueller, <laughs> just put it this way. They didn't give a shit about Bueller <laughs> being from India to the point where... Like, <laughs> I mean, look, the reality here is this guy lost to a fucking guy that got Uma plotted by Adam Vishirek, and we're going to sit here and act like he's some top prospect? I mean, I thought he was that much of a fraud to bet Bueller at plus 100, not even like plus 120. I was like, bro, any dog. On, you should, you should bring up that uh I mean, nah, it's all good just because. But uh, so I think Juan Adams, look, I think he's a young kid. I think that, you know, maybe down the line with some softer opponents, some more grooming, you know, if you give him a... a you know, a Spivak, a Spivak or uh, Alan Crowder. You know, um, I know somebody's. Well, uh, Alan beat Greg. No, no, he didn't. Hey, Alan didn't beat <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, he didn't. We all know Greg was gonna come back and knock him the fuck. Well, out. Well, he did knock him out. <laughs> 
he thought he was getting up. He made a mistake. He's only got three fights. Look, I feel like all Greg needs is more time, and that's exactly what's happening. I actually like the Smoliaka performance because in the past, I feel like Greg would come out and try to rush this KO and because, you know, the first time he hit somebody with that overhand right, they start seeing stars. And uh, we're talking about a former NFL football player, a pro bowler. And this one, Adams guy, if you look at his record, he's fought absolutely nobody. Literally. And I feel like emotionally he's put himself in a bad spot on fight night. I feel like on fight night he's going to shit himself when he realizes what he said, what he's done. And look, he's not wrong. I'm just saying this is a fight, bro. None of that's going to matter when you're in the cage. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I got Greg Hardy by first round knockout in less than a minute. After this fight, he can go be an activist. You know what I'm saying? But look, the reality here is that Juan Adams, he's very spastic with his stand-up. He basically relies on his size and and reach because the technique isn't there at all standing. D1 wrestler officially, but but you know, that's complete bullshit. It hasn't quite translated to MMA. And I heard back in back in D1 he ranked like 178th place. So like, come on, guys. Extremely questionable gas tank and discipline with his diet. I mean, there's a guy that's going out here bragging about how many Oreos he eats. You know what I'm saying? And you guys are gonna say that he's gonna come out here and beat a real athlete. That's something we also mentioned last time when we bet Arjan at underdog money versus Juan Adams and cashed. I mean, it seems like he's very emotionally invested in this contest. He's acting like a lot of fighters do before they pull a major stunt. I'll keep it simple i think juan adams might be a complete fraud and i'm picking greg hardy by knockout but i want to say some things about greg hardy first first of all let's talk about that that amazing quote that greg hardy uh, <laughs> said about juan adams he said i'm gonna put him in the hospital and wish him the best i was like oh shit you know what i'm saying and when you tell a guy like juan adams that who's already emotional you know you know that that line is going over and over in his head like a record player. Look, Greg Hardy's a freak athlete. He's progressing every single time we see him. He has that elite athlete mentality. I mean, it's basically a 24-7 gig with this guy. He works round the clock. You're not going to go into this guy's house, look under his bed, and find any Oreos and Reese's like you would with this guy. He's fighting Juan Adams. He's a real competitor and much more composure in his second octagon appearance compared to the first one. My biggest question is this. If Adams somehow gets on top of Hardy with that quote-unquote D1 wrestling, will the fight be over shortly after? That's my question, right? We did see Hardy have the wherewithal to scramble out of bad positions versus Alan Crowder. A mounted crucifix specifically, but look, he got back up to his feet. I can only assume Hardy has improved in the seven months we've seen, excuse me, in the seven months since that fight. I'll put it bluntly, Greg Hardy has a lot of potential. He doesn't just have heavy hands, the guy has head kicks as well, and from what I've seen so far, a pretty decent sprawl, so I can't wait to see what the finished product of Greg Hardy looks like, and I'm kind of surprised this fight to pick him. I'm going to go with Greg Hardy here via devastating, vicious, stiff KO. Co-main event of the evening in the heavyweight division, we got Alexi the Boa Constrictor Olenek. He's 57-12, and 12, and Walt the Big Ticket Harris is 13-7. Currently, they got Walt Harris minus 165. The comeback on Alexi Olenek is plus 145. Well, I mean, I can break this one down pretty simply. Is Walt Harris going to knock him out, or is Walt Harris going to get Ezekiel choked? This is going to be a good fight, and I'm going to be quick with this one. I think Walt Harris is going to knock him out in the first round. You know, I feel like Alexi Olenek is one of these guys that the fans love. You know, we love the boa constrictor. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at the guys he did that against, Junior Albini, uh, where is he now? Who? Exactly. And then uh, Victor Pesto, where is he now? Who? And uh, Mark Hunt, where is he now? Oh, yeah. Cut. <laughs> 
You know, uh, Alexi, I mean, Alexi, you know, and Travis Brown, where is he now? Did you know Mark Hunt lost a big titty? Yeah, Mark Hunt sucks, bro. He's got a losing record in MMA, right? He beat Derek Lewis, though. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I feel like Alexi and Olenek. Frank, man. <laughs> I feel like Alexi Olenek, uh, you know, we, the fans love him. We love the boa constrictor. He can definitely be effective with him at times. But that's when guys, you know, when he grabs it and guys literally take him down like Albini and Victor Pesta. Those guys are idiots. Those guys aren't in the UFC. Mark Hunt's got absolutely no ground. Game. What's Mark Hunt's record? <laughs> 12 and 14 or some so shit. So I feel like Alexi is uh, getting actually a little over. I feel like the line could be a little wider. I know Walt Harris is coming off. You know, a win over a, a fraud in Spivak, but at least he treated him accordingly. He knocked him out in less than a minute. His fight before that against Arlovsky, look, Arlovsky gives these guys tough fights if you're not top five, and at least Walt Harris was able to come out here, do his job, and win the fight. And I know that uh, other guys struggle with him as well, so, you know, I feel like uh, we I kind of shadow on Walt Harris a little bit too much in that matchup, but I don't think that Alexi is going to... I feel like Walt Harris is too agile. I don't think Alexi is going to be able to grab Walt in the clinch. I feel like Walt... If Walt Harris lets his hands go at range, Alexi has too many holes. I, I truly believe if Walt Harris lets his hands go at range, he will knock Alexi out very quickly. I feel like there's too many openings. I don't think he can keep pulling off these wins uh, occasionally like he used to. He's getting up there in age. I feel like he's probably, after that uh, Overeem knockout loss, I feel like, I mean, he was in there doing <laughs> things like that. And I, like I said, when you really look at who he's done it against, I feel like Walt Harris is getting better fight to fight. I feel like he's uh, improving, getting more comfortable, had his new gym back in Alabama where the where he's got more attention on him. He's getting better, and I feel like he's a, you know, a part of... A little of these new heavyweights, man. Walt's finally putting it together, and I feel like he's going to have a, a coming-out party co-main event, and I think he's going to knock Alexi Olenek out in the first round and, and finally creep into those rankings. Look, man, if Walt Harris finally has put it together, because I know we've had our questions here and there. We bet him against Arlovsky. He barely won that fight. We were wondering if this guy, Sergey Spivak, this and that. and Dude, he ran through Sergey Spivak in a way where... I'm starting to think that Walt Harris might have finally put it together. And here against Alexi Olenek, look, man, Alexi's going to come out and throw bombs early on. But I feel like when he feels Walt Harris's power, then he's going to either get knocked out. He's going to start shooting from a mile out, try to desperately close the distance to try to get that Ezekiel choke standing, try to drop to the mat from there. If that doesn't happen, Alexi's in big trouble in this spot. And more often than not, I do think Walt Harris connects on the chin or just makes him feel the power, makes him take a knee. So either way, it's going to be a knockout or a TKO. I got Walt Harris inside the distance, most likely in the first round. Main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Rafael Dos Anjos. He's 29-11. and 11, And Leon Rocky Edwards is 17-3. and 3. Currently, they got Leon Edwards minus 125. The comeback on Rafael Dos Anjos is plus 105. Well, Shaq... Leon's been wanting this fight for a very long time. He's been calling out RDA for well over a year. Now they finally meet in the main event in Texas. I mean, dude, the winner is going to be right up there. Maybe not next in line, but pretty damn close. Maybe a number one contender fight. Uh, look, Leon is uh, Britain's premier D1 wrestler. Do you think he can go out here and try to recreate the game plans of Colby and Kamaru against Rafael Dos Anjos? Uh, so people are saying that. That Leon's a Colby or a Usman, you know? We're going to find out again. They thought Lee was a Colby or Usman, and now they're saying Leon is. And look, Leon's been, ever since he lost to Kamaru back in the day, it's so funny because I actually bet on Leon in that fight. I think he was like plus uh, 
220. I thought he had a chance to to catch my boy Usman, but Usman broke him. And ever since that fight, man, his wrestling's gotten so much better. Ever since then, he got a fucking four ride scholarship <laughs> to a D1 school or some shit. He got a D1 scholarship and turned into a takedown artist. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. Uh, his jujitsu's on point too. And I mean, I remember when he started that streak when he uh, got that win over Albert Tumenov. I mean, at the time, that was such a big win. I mean, Tumenov. I don't know if you remember, but he used to be a bad motherfucker <laughs> back when he was beating Lorenz and uh, Juban by Vicious KO and guys like and Matt Dwyer. I know you remember that Vicious KO. How and, could I forget? And Anthony Lapsley and that KO. But, uh, Juban. Yeah, Juban. He killed Juban. But, uh, man, and then he went out there, beat Vicente Luque. You know, he uh, lost the first round by getting taken down, then came back and started taking Vicente down. The wins over Barbarina, you know, he got dropped in that fight, but he kept his composure, came back, took him down. Uh, you know, he tied up uh, Cowboy Cerrone, you know, got the better of the striking on the outside. So, you know, uh, Peter Sabata as well. So, Leon, man, he, he's earned his right his way at 170, 100%. He earned this main event spot. The fact that, you know, he's got this little beef with George, that was the best thing that ever happened to him when you really look at it, man. You know? Main <laughs> you, event spot. George right? is a superstar right now. So, you know, you said the fact that you and him got this little three-piece in a soda thing is good for you. you know? Now he's going in here versus Dos Anjos. I feel like it's definitely a step up in competition for any anyone from a... Uh, Leon's fought in terms of an overall MMA game. You know, he's definitely fought guys that probably hit harder than, than Dos Anjos or bigger, stronger guys, but I don't think any of those guys put it all together like Dos Anjos. And Dos Anjos is a guy that, man, you got to press him back and you got to be able to have the, the wrestling ability, that at least at 170 or even at 55s, besides the Eddie Alvarez KO loss, uh, it seems like you got to be able to pressure him for five rounds, got to be able to push him back, at least have the cardio. And it seems like when I look at those guys, we're talking Tony Ferguson, uh, former world champion, Eddie Alvarez, former world champion in every uh, every promotion that he's been in. Uh, Usman, current. Usman, current UFC champion. Kobe Covington, former interim UFC champion. Never lost his belt. Never lost his belt. You know, only lost one fight. Um, and uh, at least in the last, you know. Yeah, we don't got to bring up the Guida. Yeah, the Guida and the, the T-Bow. Jeremy <laughs> Stevens. and Tyson Griffin. In modern day RDA, it seems like you have to be a championship level fighter. To uh to beat him or at least a number one contender level fighter, you know what I'm saying? And Leon's you know yet to prove that. You know his fight with uh, Gunny Nelson, he looked very good the the last two rounds, but that third round, you know Leon has a tendency to at times pull stunts. You know the Barbarina fight, he got dropped in the second round. He almost got knocked out, but he was able to muscle him down. And and that's what the fight's gonna come down to. You know Colby Covington, uh, an elite college dresser. Kamaru uh Kamaru Usman, elite college dresser. I'm talking like. Some of the best college dressers could not hold RDA down. RDA was getting back up every single time. They would just keep reshooting and taking them down because those guys got championship-level cardio. I'm not convinced Leon Edwards has that. There always seems to be this ground where he tends to be a little shaky, but then, you know, he's better than, you know, he's got a little more left in the tank than guys like, uh, you know, Vicente Luca. I mean, he pulled a stunt that fight. And, you know, Barbarina... Tough guy, but you know he's just not that caliber fighter. Peter Sabata's not that caliber fighter. Cerrone, you know at one seventies, you know not that caliber, not, fight. that not that caliber fighter. And uh, Gunny Nelson, sure definitely. But I got Tiago Alves. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, you know, I feel like this is a big step up for Leon, man. So I feel like RDA, he, all he has to do is pretty much he has the same dilemma as he's had in pretty much a lot of his fights. You know, I feel like Leon's definitely. 
a good striker with his left kick, but this is southpaw on southpaw. That body kick is definitely going to be a little harder to land. And, you know, this is a big moment as well. This is his first main event, man. You know, you know what they, them first main events, man, they, uh, that moment can be uh, becoming the main events. Fucking RDA is coming off. RDA is season for for this ain't nothing to RDA man. So I kind of tend to lean RDA's way in here. You know I feel like sometimes it can be these guys. You know coming up like the Kevin Lee's, the Leons can. They ain't Kobe and Usman, you know what I'm saying? I feel like Kobe and Usman are clear-cut ahead of everyone else at 170. Leon's probably going to start start good early, but I feel like at some at some point in the third, fourth rounds, they're going to separate. And I, and I feel like Rafael's going to start teeing off to, on his body, start, you know, ripping off the 20-30 the punch combination, and get a late finish of Leon Edwards. So I'm going to go with Rafael Dos Anjos. Leon Edwards is a guy I'm very familiar with because I actually went out there and bet him in his first three, actually his first four UFC fights, the debut against Claudio Silva. He lost that split decision, cost me there, but then I bet him in that next fight against Seth Bozinski, knocks him out in eight seconds. The fight with Paul Palak. I was expecting a first round knockout, but he went out there and, and decisioned him. So I've known about this kid for a while, and when he came into the UFC, he had a completely different style than he has now. You know, I used to call... I used to call Leon Edwards, you know, a pinpoint surgical striker. That's what he was known for. Now I'm calling him Britain's premier D1 wrestler. So it's very interesting how he's changed his style around. And in this specific fight, I would actually almost recommend that he uses a blend of his old style and his new style. Because if he comes out here trying to recreate what Usman and Colby did, I don't think it's going to go very well. Because even though Leon can grind, he's very long, his body locks on point, he can probably get a takedown or two in this fight. This is a 25-minute fight versus a championship caliber athlete. And I don't think that RDA is just going to sit down for him in the championship rounds or anything like that. I think he might get a takedown early, you know, here and there. But as the fight wears on... I'd like to see Leon do what he used to do, man. Be that long striker, the straight punches down the middle. But I'm not sure where his confidence in his chin is because when he tried that against Barbarena, I mean, he got floored in a way where that fight could have been stopped. And I felt like one of the follow-up shots actually woke Leon back up. So I think he might be kind of questioning uh, his chin a little bit. He kind of abandoned that area of his game for straight tie-ups and it's worked great. I mean, when you're fighting guys like Gunny Nelson, who I know he has this great ground game and this and that, but guys, we've seen Gunny dominate on the map before. Not, I don't, I'm not even talking about fucking Damian Maya. What about Rick Story? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So this ain't nothing new. And uh, I just think this is a big step up for Leon. Look, when the fight was first announced, just my gut instinct is always telling me to pick the younger guy over the older guy. But then when you really sit back and look at their skill sets, I kind of got to go with RDA here. I'm not counting Leon out, though, because these young fighters, look, to put the kind of streak that he's put together, to put the kind of you know numbers he's been putting in, the level of competition he's been facing, the guy, the kid's been putting in work. You cannot deny that. And if he comes out here and rises to the occasion, I will not be surprised. But I do think that RDA is going to have an answer for him. I think uh, that southpaw stance is going to lead to the calf kicks. Maybe that body kick won't be open, but the calf kicks will. The head kick will. And then when they get into the pocket and start exchanging shots i mean look if Rafael standing on the outside he could get picked apart but when he closes that distance and you know he starts throwing a, a couple of those kicks and starts to let the hands go he might floor leon edwards here so i'm actually i i agree with you man i'm going with uh rafael dos Anjos to get this win as well now we got to hit up kyle marley for the big marley minute and joining us now on the big marley minute is big marley himself kyle is going down this saturday in san antonio a welterweight showdown in the main event how's it going 
Not too bad, man. Coming off a winning week, I was hoping it would be a bigger one. But we got some people hopping on that yearly package, uh, and I'm excited to make them some more money and hopefully win that 25K on DraftKings as well. That's the plan, man. So I got to ask you right off the bat, in the main event, obviously Leon Edwards, we like to call him Britain's premier D1 wrestler. He's really been stacking up those takedowns with five rounds now, two extra. You think he's going to come out here and put up a nice number, or you uh, or you got a, you got a little faith left in the former champion, the legend, the vet, Rafael Dos Anjos? Uh, I, I prefer RDA here. I do think it's a pretty 50-50 fight, and I don't really feel confident picking either one of these guys. Um, so what I like more is the discount on RDA here. Um, and I think he does have the higher ceiling as well. I mean, he has more five-round experience. He has a higher pace. Uh, and I just think he's, he's going to be putting it on Edwards. And maybe he takes the last two rounds and can pull out a split decision. But what I really like is their price tag right there in the mid-range. It's not going to take a lot for them to be on the optimal lineup um, with five rounds to work with. And I think it's just going to be easier for RDA to get over 100 points. And that's why I like him more. But this is pretty much an all-in fight because of their price tags. Um, if they don't get you know more than 83 points, I'd be pretty surprised here, whoever gets the win. So I'll probably be like 70-30 or something in favor of RDA. I think you can stack this fight in cash. Um, I, I personally wouldn't feel confident enough using either one of them solo in cash. I guess if I had to choose, it would be RDA, though, because he's cheaper. Um, but I think if you're not going to stack this fight in cash, the way I would do it is just fade the fight in cash and use it in GPPs instead. But I'll take RDA. Um, super close fight. I'll say split decision. So co-main event, striker versus grappler, Walt Harris versus Olenek. I mean, we both know it's either going to be Walt Harris by KO, Olenek by submission. So I assume you're not going to put both of these guys on on a single lineup. It's just about uh, how much ownership are you going to have on each? Yeah, um, definitely not putting them in the same lineup. And I like Olenek a little bit more here because I think at 8,700 with Harris, we're relying on a first-round knockout ideally to put you with on that $25,000 lineup. Maybe second-round knockout can do it. But they're not going to have the the volume to get a third-round knockout or a decision win and have Harris be on that optimal lineup. So I like him less here. Um, and maybe that's that's making my pick change over to Olenek. But I do think he's got the higher ceiling. And for his price tag, it's just going to be so much easier for him to pay it off in a win in any round, really. Uh, so I got Olenek here. I'm going to take him by submission. But I honestly wouldn't be super shocked if he went out there and knocked Harris out just with one of those wild overhand rights. Um, but what I mostly like is his price compared to Harris's 87. So give me the underdog here. Hopefully that'll be one that I can get right and, uh, give me a shot at that 25. K. Also in the heavyweight division, you got a showcase fight between Greg Hardy and Juan Adams. And they currently got it a dead pick on DraftKings, both 8,100. So, I mean, man, which, uh, which way are you going? <laughs> See, I'm glad, I'm kind of glad it's 8,100. Because personally, man, I don't feel confident enough in either one of these guys. I think Hardy probably has the more dominant striking. He has the, the more power. He can knock uh, Adams out in the first round. I think he has the 100-point upside a little bit more than Adams does. But if Adams goes out there and wrestles Hardy, I don't think Hardy's going to have anything for him off his back. I just don't know that Adams is smart enough to do that, and he hates Hardy, so he probably wants to go out there and knock him out. Um, so I'm leaning Hardy here. If I was just going to make one lineup, I'd probably put Hardy in it. Um, 
but I, I don't feel confident in that. And since they're both 8,100, I'm just going to throw some lineups away. Whatever I do, Hardy lineups, I'm going to duplicate those same things. I'll put Adams in there as well. So instead of doing one lineup, uh, maybe do two and make the same lineup with Hardy, do it again, put Adams in there instead. That way, if you have the other five right, uh, you have a shot at the the nuts lineup. So that's the way I'm going to approach it. But you are throwing money away when you do that. It's just this type of fight when you really have no idea who's going to get it done, but you expect it to score highly. I, I like taking shots on both sides. But I'll take Hardy if I had to pick. Um, I'll say first round knockout. Lightweight division. Dan Hooker's taking on James Vick. They got Dan Hooker favored here. Both these guys very exciting lightweights. Uh, who do you think is going to score the most points? Uh, I think Hooker has the higher ceiling uh, with the knockout potential. I think if this fight does end in a knockout, it's more likely Hooker getting it done. Um, I, I do think it's a super close fight, though. I just like his ceiling more um, because I, I do think he goes out there and gets a finish, but I'm not super confident in that. And with such a close fight, Vic is only 7700 I would be pretty surprised if he didn't pay that price off in a win. Um, I just like a good amount of underdogs on this card so i'm not sure how much vic i'll be able to get and then since i do like a, a decent amount of underdogs I, I got money to afford some of these favorites so i think hooker will make uh you know 20 30 of my lineups in hopes of that knockout but it's, it's going to be a close fight and I, I wouldn't you know put my chips all in on hooker here at all uh if you want to fade this fight i think that's fine as well it could be a super close fight where it's back and forth and the winner scores you know, 70 to 80 points. And if that's Hooker, that probably won't get it done. If it's Vic, maybe it can. Um, but I will go with Hooker. Here's my pick. Also on the lightweight division, you got Alex Hernandez taking on Francisco Trinaldo. You saw Alex Hernandez get humbled his last fight. Francisco Trinaldo, I mean, the guy's 40 years old. He's 9-2 and two in his last 11 fights. You think there's any value here on the underdog at 7,300 or you're rolling with the favorite? Uh, I'm going to roll with the favorite here. I think Trinaldo's probably going to have to get a knockout here. Uh, everything he's good at, I think Hernandez is probably just a little bit better at. And now at this point in Trinaldo's career, Hernandez is going to be a lot faster. He's going to be pushing a lot heavier pace. And I think he breaks them and finishes them late, maybe like a, a late third-round finish for Hernandez, something like that. But he's only 8,900, so I like that a decent amount. I think he probably will need a finish for him to score high enough you know to to be on that optimal lineup but it's in play i just don't know if he's going to get there in a decision win so uh, again i won't be all in on hernandez here but i do like him a good bit he's one of my you know top three or four favorites on the card that i like this week and his price tag i mean i like him more than some of the 9k guys on this card so he's going to end up in, in a decent amount of my lineups i think he's playable in all formats but Ronaldo would be a gpp shot only for me and last but not least, another heavyweight fight. You got the rematch between Ben Rothwell and Andre Arlovsky. A lot of these Andre Arlovsky fights have been low scoring, but you know Ben Rothwell has that one-punch knockout power. So what's your opinion from a DraftKings perspective? See, I'd rather go Arlovsky here because with Rothwell, he's 9K on DraftKings. So you are relying on that knockout. And at 9K, you really need it to be in the first round. So it's first round knockout or bust for Rothwell. And I'm just not willing to invest much in that so i don't see him making too many of my lineups um, but it's more of a price tag thing i am picking him to win i think he will um edge his fight out you know just being the more active guy maybe he can land a takedown or two something like that land the harder shots but i think he wins a decision and probably something like a 60 point decision and at 9k that's not helping anybody 
So I'd rather just take a shot on Arlovsky. I do think this is a close fight. Maybe he can edge it out. And if he gets 60 points, it's not going to kill you. But it's also probably not going to put you on that $25,000 lineup. So overall, man, I think this is a solid fight to just fade. They're both decent names. So they'll gain a little bit of ownership on both sides. I'm cool with just letting the field have that ownership. And I'll look elsewhere. But I'll take uh, Ben Rothwell for, uh, I'll say, split decision. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in San Antonio, Texas on ESPN. They can follow you at Big Marley 3, and they can get your bets and your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. Just now finished everything. Set those your way right before you called. Um, so, yeah, let's get it, man. Follow those picks. Uh, buy that write-up. It's only $7.99. I think it'll help you a lot. Uh, a lot of people are enjoying it. So let's go. Good luck. Thank you very much, Kyle Marley. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC San Antonio? My fight to watch is going to be Greg Hardy versus Juan Adams. This is going to be the most emotional fight on the fight card. I mean, look, Juan Adams has been talking a lot. His day's finally going to come on Saturday. Let's see what he's got. And, uh, you know, Greg Hardy's must-see TV every time he fights. I mean, pretty much. So that's my fight to watch. Yeah, look, my fight to watch, obviously that's one of them. But my fight to watch is going to be Dan Hooker versus James Vick. Let me know the last time, besides the DeCasey fight, let me know the last time you saw a boring Dan Hooker or James Vick fight. I think that it's going to be... a fight where two very tall men stand in the middle of the cage and they're going to be throwing strikes at each other till potentially one man falls or this goes to three-round distance and they get a 50K fight of the night bonus. I highly doubt that anyone is going to be diving on legs desperately in this fight. So for that reason, Dan Hooker versus James Vick is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN4? My fighter to watch is going to be Walt the Big Ticket Harris, his first co-main event spot on TV against a guy like Alexi with, I don't know, how many submission wins, like 40-something? A so, lot. <laughs> you know, so I feel like this is going to be a big opportunity for, uh, how many wins? 45 submission 45 wins. 45 submission wins. If he can get this win, this will be his first... I mean, since Arlovsky, Arlovsky was his first big name, but this would be another big name on his resume, and he'd finally, you know, solidify himself in the rankings. Yeah, this would be a huge win for Walt Harris if he was able to do that, especially on the stage, co-main event. On ESPN, Shaq, that would be huge for the big ticket's career. For me, my fighter to watch is going to be the Prince of Darkness, Craig Hardy. Look, he's got all eyes on him. Everyone's saying that this kid, Juan Adams, is going to easily expose him. And look, the reality here is people are talking about how Juan Adams has fought higher level of competition. Well, interestingly enough, that guy that you guys called a bum, Dmitry Smolyakov, he's got a way better record than anyone Juan Adams has ever faced in his entire career. Because when you go back and you talk about Juan, uh, Juan Adams' toughest test that he won against Chris De La Roca, you guys understand what I'm saying now? So, And not to mention... Greg Hardy, every single time we've seen him win, it's been a devastating knockout. That's very exciting. That's what the fans want to see. So for that reason, Greg Hardy is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in San Antonio, Texas, in the South, on ESPN. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. And we got to let them know that they can get 10% off of Shaq's bets by using the promo code Shaq at bestfightpicks.com. Obviously, you've been killing it this entire year. 42% ROI. And guys, this ain't January or February. We're about to be in August. And uh, you got a motherfucking over 40% ROI. Isn't that right, Shaq? Yeah, you know, like a 63% win rate. Look, we're looking to close the year out strong. We got a big event uh, this Saturday in San Antonio. And we're looking to bring home a win again. So here's that 10% uh, code, Shaq, at bestfightpicks.com. 
Yes, sir. BestFightPicks.com. Make sure you follow me at BestFightPicks. Follow Shaq at MMAGenius05. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. And I just found out we're on a couple other sources I didn't even know about, too. We're on iHeartRadio, Radio Music, Podbean, Podcast Addict, all these other things. So basically, anywhere you can find podcasts, wherever you listen, make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle. Obviously, go to bestfightpicks.com. Use that promo code Shaq to save 10% off any of Shaq's packages. Or you want to hit up that VIP, you want both our plays, we're down with that too. Thank you guys all so much for the support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.